Hi there, this is Peter S. Williams, author of C.S. Lewis versus the New Atheists, and you're listening to Pints with Jack. So, said Hyoi, we are Nakrapunti. This is what I have wanted all my life. This is Pints with Jack, Season 6, Episode 14, Predator, Out of the Silent Planet, Chapter 13. Well, welcome everyone. Here on Pints with Jack, we're reading our way through the works of C.S. Lewis. I'm Andrew, and I'm joined by my co-hosts David and Matt. This season, we find ourselves among the stars, reading through the first of C.S. Lewis's science fiction trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet. These two chapters today offer a very direct turn away from everyday time in the Hendramant and towards the larger implications of the novel. In today's episode, we'll encounter a number of crucial struggles towards climax and crisis for Ransom. And since Lewis doesn't give his chapters any names, this season we're going to be naming each episode after a movie title. So what do you got today, David? Well, today we're going to be continuing to talk about the Hanakra, the water monster on Malacandra. And this meant that I was very tempted to name today's episode Big Fish after the very whimsical 2003 movie starring Ewan McGregor. But in the end, I went back to my roots, a classic 80s movie, Predator, which is the (laughs) 1987 story where Arl Schwarzenegger battles an extraterrestrial. So not only does it deal with extraterrestrial monsters, in the first chapter that we're going to read today, we're going to have many predators. The Hanakra is on the hunt, so is Ransom and the Hrosa, as well as Western and Divine. Well, and actually, the extraterrestrial in this uh, <laughs> in this book is Ransom. Hmm. <laughs> it's like my first trip to uh, to to Canada, and under the list of imported beers, I saw Bud and Miller Lite. Like, no. <laughs> Imported beer used to be safe. <laughs> I went to a to an old pub, uh, the Blue Ball in Cambridge, um, Malcolm's Pub, and he was playing that night with Mystery Train. And uh, the crusty old bartender was approached by somebody who ordered a lager, and he says, "We don't serve lager here; we only serve beer." <laughs> so, well, fellas, what have you been up to? Well, I've been kind of busy. I've been mostly looking for a job because my company got bought at the beginning of the year. And then a few weeks ago, they cut over 50% of the staff. So there's a lot of us looking for work at the moment, but I'm now entering the final stages with quite a few companies. So all is well. Mm, Good. You've had some offers and things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A couple of offers so far. We're going to play out one more week and then basically see... uh, See, see who wants to give me the real money to go and work for them. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, also, my appearance on the Inklings Variety Hour, that has now been released. So if you want to hear me talk about the Voyage of the Dawn Treader a little bit more, go check out that episode. And lastly, I've mentioned that my wife and I are having a child. Well, we now know that we're having a baby girl, and her name will be Lucy. Yay! <laughs> Yay! I'm a big Lucille Ball fan too. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> well, what was really funny was that we were having our scan at the same time that my next door neighbor and brother in law and his family, they were 
in labor as well. So she had gone to the hospital about half an hour before we went off to our scan. And as soon as we found out that we were having a girl, as we were leaving the hospital, Marie turned to me and said, we're naming her Lucy, right? And I went, absolutely. She says, <laughs> right, we need to claim it because they're going to be having their baby and we knew it was going to be a baby girl in a, a matter mm -hmm. of an hour or two. So we immediately did our uh, our announcement and put it out on the family chat and on the internet and and, and claimed Lucy as soon as we could. So You even uh, put it in the snow too, mm -hmm. right? We had had a big snowfall <laughs> that morning. It just seemed perfect. <laughs> That's very Lewisian. Oh, I'm sure that... Uh, I'm sure that Jack would be would be honored as would as would Owen Barfield. I'm starting mm -hmm. my own Barfield class uh, tomorrow. We're recording this mid Lent, and so I'm working with Charlie Starr and uh, reading some fascinating stuff by Barfield. So that's fun to be diving into. Um, also, I just mentioned to the guys before the start of the show doing some things with Laura Canon Laura Byron Scott, who is the rector of a, the the pastor in charge of C.S. Lewis's church in Oxford, Holy Trinity Headington. So we're thinking and dreaming about um, things to plan up, um, dreaming up things to plan out, and we'll be meeting next week on Zoom to, to talk about some of those things. So loads of exciting stuff. I have an article coming for, forth about Easter, and I used, um, used a couple of quotes from Narnia in there. So... <laughs> um, and then I've just been confirmed. Krista and I have both been confirmed for the C.S. Lewis retreat, which is happening in October. So while you guys are talking, mm -hmm. while Matt's talking, I'll uh, I'll reach for my my schedule, my diary, my planner. And uh, there is a C.S. Lewis retreat at Camp Allen in Texas, and it's called uh, Remember the Signs. So it's based on Prince Caspian. Nice. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Maybe we should go, guys. Texas is Camp Allen near Dallas or where, where is it in Texas? Camp Which Allen place? is about an hour, hour and 15 out of Houston. It's kind of equidistant mm. between Houston and Austin and San Antonio. It's a couple of hours away from Dallas, um, but not too far. Uh, it's okay. the 13th of October, Friday the 13th uh, through Sunday the 15th. Da, 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 da. So I'll be the chaplain and I'll be preaching there. And because I love my Catholic brothers and sisters, um, uh, and there's not a good Catholic church that speaks English nearby <laughs> in Navasota. I'm going to arrange for a Catholic priest to be there at least uh, one of the days Wonderful. so that my brothers and sisters can have mass. So, Oh, that's cool. fantastic. Yeah. And so I might come. <laughs> the, the whole thing about needing it to be in English is kind of funny. When I, when I lived in London, depending upon my tourist activities at the weekend, I would always catch a mass somewhere. And I've heard it now in <laughs> Vietnamese, Russian. It's like <laughs> details, details. Um, but Matt, you haven't told us what you've been up to recently. So yeah. I'm having a baby. Andrew's doing a retreat. What are you up to? Isn't it sad when you don't have a great answer for that? <laughs> are you still working too much? Yeah, it got a little, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's just a short answer. I, I've taken on too much. Is, is what it really comes down to. Um, yeah, and we had some family loss last mm. week or two weeks ago. So that Dan was in town. So that was like five days there of all that stuff. Um, yeah, and then I had a wedding this past weekend. It was a really beautiful wedding. Um, the bride's father got a, a terminal diagnosis. So they had to push up the wedding and mm – -hmm. 
most beautiful father of the bride speech I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> Tearjerker. Everyone was crying. Just imagine a father knowing that this is probably the last chance to really do such a beautiful speech. And oh my goodness. Knocked it out of the park. You, you start crying. Then he brings in humor. And you're like, okay, thank goodness. I can't. I mean, I'm all <laughs> cried out. And then boom, another story that makes you cry. And more humor, then more crying. And so it was really beautiful. It was only since it was a, a last minute diagnosis change and then push up. There's only like 30 or 40 people there. So it was very intimate. Um, so, yeah. Well, I'm sorry for your loss. And we've certainly been praying. So, oh, no, I appreciate that. It's a beautiful period, beautiful time. <laughs> Great. So. Uh, I know that we had a little bit of, um, of argument today, mostly because I finally <laughs> got my, my scotch and it's been a couple of weeks since, since we recorded. So what's everybody drinking today? I'm drinking one of the Andrew specials mm. and it was another dark one. None of that, uh, white BS that we had that one time that tasted <laughs> like candy. The BS stands for Balderdash and shenanigans. That would be BP. It would be bull piss. <laughs> Yeah, shenanigans, of course. Balarkey. <laughs> um, yeah, it's called Ben Rines. Okay. That's how I'm going to pronounce it. Did you look it, it up? Just because it sounds really fantastic. Uh, and it's 15 years scotch. Well, I am also doing one of Andrew's collection, and I'm going for the Jura. Oh, all right. I'm going to see if there is an entry for Ben Rines. Uh, ben Rines. Ooh, Ben Rines. House style is big, creamy, smoky, flavorful, restorative after dinner. And, oh, the Ben Rennes Darkness is the title. Um, oh. 15-year-old. Color is rich brown. Nose is toffee apple. Overripe, squishy fruit. And this is where we lose my wife. <laughs> Banana and zesty is the nose. And its palate is soft fruit candy, jello, rounded, church pew, polish. What? <laughs> what does church do? First of all, though, I can 100% uh, yeah. smell the candy apple. Probably Toffee the apple. most. No, oh, well, shoot, then I'm off. Banana? It's not, well, I guess it smells like that toffee candle apple. You know that there's like that, um, some sort of yeah. ice cream that's similar to that, but it smells just like that. Can you smell the banana? No. Uh, open your mouth when you smell. That's where it is. All right. <laughs> Don't spill it. Oh, yeah. I do smell bleach. <laughs> <laughs> and then, David, you've got the Jura, right? Mm-hmm. And the tasting notes here say licorice, smoky, orange, candy, peach. Okay. My first Jura was given to me by Malcolm Guide, and they still have a wee, wee bit of it. Well, listeners, I finally spent our, uh, our lovely bud summer's uh, Christmas money, and I bought myself as a Great internal debate. I got myself the Lagavulin 11 Offerman edition, which is supposed to be a little smoky. And um, so, uh, so yeah. And then we are toasting today, since Ransom learns a new language uh, in Out of the Silent Planet. We're saying cheers in a different language each episode. Today, we're going to be saying it in French, santé. And you know what happens if you toast in French around a French person? They they uh, surrender. <laughs> Sorry. Too soon. Yeah. So, Sante, who are we toasting today, Matt? We're going to be toasting our top-tier Patreon supporter, Nathan Johnson. 
great. Well, Nathan, here's to you. We drink your health, physical and spiritual, and we also uh, pray for a warming spring and uh, and uh, the a blessed end to Lent. So, santé. Santé. À votre santé. I have no idea what's happening. Santé. Ooh, I don't on. know what's happening right now. Bad. I just got smacked, and I haven't been tired all day, with eight yawns probably in the last 10 Ooh. minutes. Mm. I definitely like that, Jura. That's lovely. Mm. Oh, that Offerman is so good. I just love a Lagavulin. So I'm going to do a couple of drops of water into the Lagavulin and see what that does to it. Really? It's, it's, this is it's candy apple. It's candy apple. <laughs> through and is through. it? No Zam palate. Wow, that's nice. It tastes like it smells, which is not always the case for scotches. <laughs> so there's no, uh, is there, is there no peat in it? Not really. I mean, nothing like a Lagavulin. Okay. <laughs> Do you taste the church pew? <laughs> yeah, it's nasty. <laughs> okay, great. I should have been like, it's divine. Oh, wow. Well, here's my hundred word summary so far. Cambridge professor Ransom, kidnapped by two men, including an old school acquaintance, and taken to Mars, finds himself at the center of a spiritual and interplanetary conflict. After escaping his captors, he finds himself among a friendly species on Malacandra, the Harasa. He learns their language, makes many friends, and lives with them for some months. He learns about the three races in their society and also discovers that he shares a common faith with the Hrosa. After some time, he finds himself hunting a Nakra, a water monster, and the Hrosa's beloved and deadly foe. That was really good, Andrew. In the sense that <laughs> he says as he yawns for the eighth time already. <laughs> yeah. But but as I'm reading that, I'm going to steal that for whenever I have to because you've it's a good one. You worked in the good balance of interplanetary conflict escaping captors but then you have this really like friendly species learning their language you get the tension between the friendliness in the conflict but then even in the last sentence beloved and deadly you know there's there's a there's the both and with this and and you really those words i don't know how intentional they were but they're very fantastic Andrew's it's like, almost very like I have a master's degree, you know, in the subject. <laughs> You'd think by now I, I would stop getting amazed by your wisdom of all of this stuff. But <laughs> wouldn't you prefer me to keep boosting your ego subtly or, does, or do you take it offensively that I still think that you shouldn't be saying these great things? Listen, because of my humility, I'm, I'm already quite proud of my ego and all the good work that I have done. <laughs> you know, I just, I'll just keep reveling in the fact that you forget that I'm a literary person. I love it. So speaking of which, though, my uh, my wife just got a contract to write kind of Christian commentaries, um, the Christian implications of a number of different, three different books, um, uh, favorites of hers, uh, including a um, George MacDonald book. So mm. more on that later. Ooh. But yeah, absolutely. The uh, the the spiritual and, and literary uh, come crashing together. You know what I think it is too, Andrew? Literary scholarliness is very far from my competency abilities. I was never great at writing. Reading comprehension wasn't my strongest suit. I was very much a math science minded individual. All of my mm. friends except one who was getting a PhD in um, literary stuff 
Chris Hazel, you'll know him, David. Uh, no one is really literary in my friend group. So I'm just amazed mm. at like the, the, the language you use, the, the conciseness and how much you can pack into a sentence. I'm super verbose and wordy when I write. And so it's just, it just constantly amazes me. Uh, Matt, uh, write this down. Poetry180.gov. Poetry 180. Maybe David will include it. I'm already repelled from that website. (laughs) (laughs) Without rhyme or reason. (laughs) It's true. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Complete irrationality. It's like the fear (laughs) of of, uh, ransom. It's just irrational. Poet laureate Billy Collins, who himself is an amazing poet, funny, uh, very approachable, very, very accessible, put together a website with 180 poems designed to turn high school students around 180 degrees on their hatred or supposed loathing of poetry. And uh, it just does a fantastic job. And they're all clickable. And so, Matt, here's your your assignment. Go to Poetry 180. Mm -hmm. Look at the 180 titles. Click on a title that looks likely to you and read the first line. And if you don't like the first line, back out and click on another poem. If you do like the first line, then click on another or read another read another line. And if you make it all the way through one poem, liking every line, you have then read and enjoyed a poem. So this is what I would do with my high school students who also thought that they hated poetry until I gave them permission and in fact required them only to enjoy what they read. So Billy Collins has a poem called Another Reason Why I Don't Keep a Gun in the House. And the Hmm. first line of the poem is, the neighbor's dog will not stop barking. (laughs) I would read that book. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, as we travel in through chapter 13, early the next morning, the Hrasa village is busy with activity in preparation for hunting, hunting the Hanakra. Ransom discovers that, uh, to his surprise and to his great honor, uh, he's expected to join the hunt. He'll be in a boat with Yoi um, and Huynh. And so how's he feeling about this prospect of going on the hunt? Hmm. Well, as you said, he recognizes that this is an honor. And uh, listeners, if you recall, at the end of the previous chapter, Ransom had been talking about his encounter with this beast. And this is what has uh, got the Hrossa all up and excited and heading out to hunt this creature because apparently it doesn't turn up very often. Uh, and so the very fact that Ransom is being included and assumed to be included in the hunt, he recognizes that they couldn't really bestow on him any greater honor. And we find out from this chapter that this is something that he never thought he would thought he would be capable of back on Earth. We read, a short time ago in England, nothing would have seemed more impossible to Ransom than to accept the post of honor and danger in an attack upon an unknown but certainly deadly aquatic monster. (laughs) And this is an interesting statement considering that he is a World War I veteran. He has seen conflict, he's seen combat, death and destruction. Um, And as a result of that, he doesn't seem to think that he's a very uh, courageous man. But he is determined to go on this Hanakra hunt. And it is clear from this that he has already been changed. Uh, We read, perhaps too, there was something in the air he now breathed or in the society of the Hrosa, which had began to work a change in him. So 
either he's been changed possibly by the planet itself, you know, Mars, the god of war, uh, or being part of the Frost community has uh, made him a more courageous man. You know, I think that there's a third option, and I too kind of noticed that. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there was something in the air he now <laughs> breathed is a similar experience to what happens in the Chronicles of Narnia. You stole my mm -hmm. sentence, Andrew. Do it, do it, man. <laughs> nope, 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 you got it. Nope, you got nope, it. nope, I'm shutting up. No, I just- Tell me what you wrote and tell me what you thought. It sounds like with that all, for, to all of us that jumped out, and I was just thinking of the whole idea of reality shaping us. I was thinking of uh, the great divorce. I was thinking of the word grace. I put grace right in the margins, like that grace of the transformation, the divine life. Now, obviously, this is different here, but something in the air is changing them, turning them into more of a substantial creature. I know we're not using ghost and substantial here, like in the great divorce, but I, I just, I see the same concept here. So I just loved how encountering reality, getting out of his head, all of these preconceived notions, he's in the real and he's embracing it, being obedient to it, living into it. And it's working into him and it's transforming him and ontologically becoming a certain type of person. Let me suggest that this is the air of obedience. Oh, I have that. And later. it's similar to what happens to the to the children when they come into Narnia. They breathe the Narnian air. They're there to be, as Lewis says in the poem, the planets, helms and heroes, helps of nations, right? And they are there to do a task and to serve others. And we see this in Ransom as well. And right before that line, it says it was necessary, and the necessary is always possible. Man, I wish somebody mm. would put that on a on a mug or a or a coaster or something. The necessary is always possible, and we find that in Ransom and Paralandra as well. And so he's saying yes, and obedience. Literally, the the root of the Greek word means to hear, and so to obey your wife um, means to really listen to her and hear about hear her concerns you know and care for them to obey the lord means that i've got an ear to the scriptures i've got an ear to what the holy spirit is saying i've got an ear to what the church is saying to me and i'm willing to say yes lord here am i you know go ahead and send me and so there's something strengthening about obedience and yeah, i think that you're right to bring up screw tape um oh and there's a lewis quote obedience brings light and disobedience brings nothing or something. <laughs> uh, I think that's screw tape. Um, but he's saying yes, and it's really, it's strengthening him. And there's a very interesting element that's introduced here because we see that this is apparently an element of being Hanau. We read, whatever happened, he must show that the human species also were Hanau. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like Hanau... It, it isn't just simply being a creature with sentience um, and spiritual choices, but also being a good one, a, a creature of virtue. Yes. Yeah. No, I think, David, that's a really good insight. And, and yes, it's not just the race that I am, but what I have done with my advantages. You know, we talked, all, we talked today all the time about privilege, um, and we do it in its negative and divisive sense. But part of, I think, what Lewis is calling us to, um, and you see this all over the place in his letters, um, that one should, and we saw it in, in the letters and all the, all the books, we saw it in the Four Loves last season, you know, is to be as good as one can be, 
right? To be as clever as one can be, to really take the advantages that I've given. And we all have advantages. We all have gifts. Those of us can see, we have sight. So let's set before our eyes good things. Those of us who woke up this morning, we woke up and we drew breath. Let us do good things with that breath. Let us say good things to people who, who have need of it. And so I think that th what we see in Ransom being there and being surrounded by filial love, um, we see him putting on virtual muscle, right? In the, in the virtue sense of that, not in the, not in the modern <laughs> sense of that. And I think that he's growing. I'd also add before we move on from this section that uh, this is an example of environmentalism because Lewis is recycling a name, or at least he will in the future, because one of the creatures that he's going to be uh, interacting with is called Huyn, uh, just mm -hmm. like Huyn, but different spelling in The Horse and His Boy. And do you know what Hross means in, in Icelandic? Horse. Hross means horse. And Huyn is a horse. Quinn is a hrasa. So yeah, absolutely. Lewis is being very economical. <laughs> Their relationship with death. I just thought that jumped out to me again here and how listeners, we didn't, we talked about this, I believe last week, but it's essentially do or die. Like they will either kill or be killed in this environment. And there's not really a fear with them. There's an excitement. It's, it's, it's surrendering to the order, obedience, air in the obedience, obedience mm -hmm. in the air whatever you said, Andrew, of, of just they're surrendering to that and there's a beauty to it. It's just constantly this way of life. It really draws me to that. Like I'm in an airplane. If it's going to go down, I'm freaking out. I'm not thinking to myself, oh my goodness, that's my time. What a beautiful gift. Thank you, Lord. I'm mm -hmm. ready for this. Like there's just a surrender to how things are supposed to be. I just like that. Just I'm not going to die a lingering death with great deal of pain and expense and, you know, requiring a lot of care from my family, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that there's some of that that happens with Lewis um, in the Great War, right? Um, there's this kind of, at least at the beginning, this optimism and over there, over there, and a long way to Tipperary and all the rest. Um, but this is kind of nobility of marching off into war. Now, it wasn't nearly like that as we see in, in Guns and Good Company. Um, uh, it was awful. It was terrible. And we're still reeling from World War I, I believe. But there was this sense of, I'm going to go and do my duty. And Lewis, as an Irishman, did not have to volunteer for the army, right? He wasn't eligible for conscription. And so he volunteered even though he didn't have to. And there's a certain sense of I'm I'm going to pledge my life to something larger than me. And I think we see this here with Ransom too. And of course, in Lewis's work, and you see this in the Chronicles again, a lot of times conflict is cast in terms of battle. And the shadow of war, I think, ha hangs over in some ways everything that Lewis and in fact, Tolkien writes. So... Well, in the next scene, Ransom is on the water with Hyoi and Huyn, as well as a hundred other boats, and they set out to hunt the Nakra. So exactly how does one hunt the Nakra? <laughs> yeah, I really like this bit. He explains that longer ships go up the middle of the waterway, and then you have the smaller craft at the sides. And so the Nakra is driven to the side channels and then attacked with spears. And so you have to throw your spears into its open mouth so this is what we call a high-risk, high-reward venture. And <laughs> Lewis describes the whole thing in terms which would be very familiar to anyone who's engaged in any kind of hunting in England, be it uh, fox or grouse, 
or any kind of bird. Because, for example, he refers to some of the boats as beaters, which is normally a person who drives the game out of areas by hitting sticks and making lots of noise. And he even describes the the, the thrusts as they're going up the stream uh, as like a cry of hounds. And honestly, this entire scene has really strong echoes for me of the buffalo hunt from Dancers with Wolves. Mm. I got Mel Gibson in whatever that Mel Gibson <laughs> movie is when he goes, hold. Braveheart? <laughs> Braveheart, that's the one. Ah. Yeah. You, I mean, like you're staring death in the face almost, but there's just no fear. It's like, I am going to charge forward. I just pictured that. And maybe a yeah, little bit well, of Titanic on the front of the boat, you know? Arms outstretched, just charging forward. Just going <laughs> forward. And of course, arms outstretched, it's cruciform, right? I love that you tried to save what was meant to be just kind of a pithy <laughs> little joke. Thank, no, thanks for no, dignifying no, that comment, Andrew. <laughs> but there's also um, one of the earliest old English poems is called The Dream of the Rood. And rood is a cross, R-O-O-D. And the cross reflects on and speaks in the poem about uh, the cross's experience of hosting Christ uh, on him. And um, and he talks about the young noble hero who climbs up upon the cross and stretches out his arms. And so I think that seeing this, seeing at least some cruciformity in all of this is not uh, is not altogether out of the picture. Yeah. You know, there's this thing, Lewis says, this long, something long sleeping in, in the blood awoken ransom. And he's got these kind of big noble visions of himself. And then he kind of gives them up um, and um, imposing humility on the newly risen riot of his feelings. Um, so he, he's got these dreams of being a hero and then he lets them go by an imposed humility. And I mean, there's a devotional moment for you. What would an imposed humility do for us this week, right? If I were to impose humility on a situation where I usually assert myself, what would that look like? And it reminds me of nothing more than Sam Gamgee, who gets the ring and thinks about being the gardener of the world. And then he's <laughs> like, well, yeah, no, uh, my patch of garden is enough for me. Sam's one of the only ones besides Tom Bombadil who really willingly, wholeheartedly gives up the ring. And you see this kind of sense here um, in Lewis as well, that Ransom is is kind of deliberately humbling himself. Although that this desire to slay the Hanakra does seem to have, uh, whatever it is that's among the Throssa, it Ransom does seem to have caught it. Yes. Yeah. So what's the plan in Hyoi's boat? They want to get ahead, do the entire job themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, and everybody wants to be the hero. You know, I see, uh, Matt, you talked about that before. He's becoming more substantial. He's really mm -hmm. kind of, he's living into and becoming part of the community. There's this kind of Friday night football game, um, whatever kind of football that you want, that you want, where it's us and our town, you know, and and uh, and wanting to win for their boat. There's something, I don't think Lewis necessarily intended to communicate this theme per se, but it's it's that idea of you become the average of the five people you spend the most time around. So here, mm -hmm. he has these very good influences. I know, Andrew, there's probably a bit of a debate of fallen versus unfallen, but they're, they at least seem to be a lot less fallen creatures than we are, the Rasa. Mm -hmm. And... 
being around it is making Ransom a better person ontologically, more more mm-hmm. substantial of a person. And I think in our own spiritual journey, when we are surrounding ourselves with people that are also attempting to live a uh, a grace-filled, God-like life, we find that that wears off on us. And hopefully we wear off on mm-hmm. others as well in a positive mm-hmm. sense. But you, you're seeing this happen here. And I've experienced that in my own life. Uh, when I'm in isolation, it's not a good thing. When I'm in community, good quality community, it's a great thing. And so I don't think Lewis necessarily was writing that in here per se, but I really do see a beauty uh, in that. Well, that is something he talks about in mere Christianity. He says, if you want to get warm, stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you've got to get into the water. Ah, so maybe he is. They're in the water. Yep. Well, there's there's certainly some of that. Um, Oh, there was something else. This also feels like, does it not feel like the slow fade button reverse, the heavenly creature? I mean, you're witnessing, we're witnessing in real time a very slow build for it's not happening overnight it's well i guess probably in here it does feel like it's overnight but as we're reading this which is taking weeks and weeks it's happening nice and slowly oh and i just this is great i'd never thought about this before so there's something about the narnian air that makes the children feel more noble right and then allows them to kind of grow up into themselves um i wonder if maybe it's not a quality of the narnian air or the Malachandrian air, except that what's in what's present in both Narnia and Malachandra is the absence of the poison of the Thulchandrian air, right? Ah. So even if Malachandra is fallen, it's less fallen and less under the thumb of, because we'll find out soon that that Malachandra is under the under the charge of a good spiritual force, an archangel, if you will. And being away from, it's kind of like if you've read um, Wrinkle in Time, Kamazots has got this kind of dominate, dominated air. Um, and so maybe it's not so much some good intoxicating quality of the Narnian or Malachandrian air, but this absence of the poison of the curse in our own world. And our world, I think, is probably the most fallen of the ones that we see. So, ah, great. I'm so glad we had this conversation today. Um, (laughs) All right. On that note, listeners, thank you for joining us. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) Well, speaking of angels, during their hunt, they're in the middle of it. And inconveniently, the theological reality and unplanned obedience comes charging in. So the Eldil comes to their boat. So how does, uh, tell me, describe that encounter. What happens with Hyoi and the Eldil, and how do they talk to each other? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. He refers to him as Skyborn. And I don't think that's meant to be a mm-hmm. proper name. I think it's more of a description of their type, that they are Skyborn. They are birthed in the heavens. Because unlike Ransom, they don't need to breathe there, and therefore they can come from the sky, quite literally. I wonder if Skyborn is an is an epithet. Or a kenning. A kenning is a is an Anglo-Saxon term. It's a term I'm going to go with an Poetry. Uh, do you know what a kenning is? I don't think nope, he knows what you know them are. Just carry on. <laughs> an epithet uh, can be used to describe a person or place or an item. A kenning is a descriptive group of words that are used to replace the name of a character. So mm. maybe it's an epithet. Ken- kenning. Um, so he's Skyborn 
Well, actually, maybe it can it can work as both. Kenning appears, Kennings appear in Beowulf all the time. Like oh, yeah. a king is called a ring giver. Mm -hmm. um, but an epithet, he's sky born. He's born in the heavens. Um, and so I, there may be at least part part of that. And that could actually refer to either birth or actually being carried in the sky. But born, wouldn't that have an E on it? Ah, you're quite right. My poor standard of spelling comes and strikes again. <laughs> yeah, come on, David, of course, <laughs> not have sure. an E on it. But he belongs to the sky. And, uh, and what does he say? And how do they respond to him? Well, he says that Ransom shouldn't be there. Interestingly, he doesn't call him Khman. He actually calls him a proper name. Uh, and the Eldal says that Western Divine are tracking him and that Ransom's got to get to Oyasa in Meldalon. And if he doesn't, there's going to be trouble. Uh, he says, it is the man with you, Hoy. He ought not to be there. He ought to be going to Oyasa. Bent Hanau of his own kind from Salkandra are following him. He should go to Oyasa. If they find him anywhere else, there will be evil. Mm. And that's a prophecy that's fulfilled quite shortly. Mm. We've mentioned this particularly, I believe, more heavily on the, the space ride up. But remember how we mentioned in real time, he was feeling an influence. We're getting very clearly here now, the influence just more explicit. Like there is some force well outside of here. Now that we know it's not just some like spiritual, but there, there's a deeper force. Someone, something, some being is got a plan for ransom. And mm -hmm. he's deviating a little bit right here, unbeknown to him. And he's just going to nudge you this way. You're going here. This is your plan. And so here's that influence becoming explicit, which I'll have some comments on next section. Um, but for now, I'll leave it at that. You know, one of the things I encouraged some of my parishioners to give up was peevishness at being interrupted. <laughs> uh, not a bad Lenten discipline. And so here they are. He's at the height of Malacandrian society, um, or at least Rosa society, society, and is told that he needs to be doing something else. And that's, I think, maybe not a bad virtue to pursue. Do I hold my plans and myself so lightly that if I feel the Holy Spirit moving me somewhere else. Am I, how interruptible am I? Zero. How willing am I for God to just come and alter the best thing that I thought I was doing? Um, and so that's kind of what happens. And Ransom has to, has to obey. Um, although he still has some, has, you know, gets, gets some good outcome himself. I really thought you were <laughs> making a joke about me interrupting David right before the last <laughs> comment. And you were like saying, uh, it's good to be willing to be interrupted. And essentially saying, Matt, thanks for interrupting David. I was like, oh, no, oh, actually, I was thinking about a Lewis scholar named Derek Bingham, who I had uh, uh, dinner with at the Eagle and Child years ago, an Irishman. Um, and he said, the grace is in the interruption. Mm. Um, so yeah, David, what were you going to say? Knock, knock. Who's there? Interrupting cow. <laughs> oh, boy. Interrupting Moo. cow. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, even as we're speaking, I've, we've got a note from Jake Dean who says, loved this week's episode that just we're recording on a, on a Thursday, but can't blame Matt Bush for mi misunderstandings regarding the re representations of various creatures. I got confused myself. 
Also, David Bates, I enjoyed you pointing out how the Rossa has used the Hanakra as a mascot. So, good comments on the two of you from Jake Dean. Maybe if I up my game, Jake will say something nice about me. <laughs> so, Yoi asks a message, uh, asks for, about a message for his wife, Hilary. Uh, what do you think that is about? Yeah, I thought this was really interesting because what do angels often do in the Bible? They bring tidings of pregnancy. So, I assume is Lucy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, so, is Hilary going to be told that she's pregnant? And if that is the case, it makes Hoy's upcoming death even more tragic, which I think mm. Ross would love. Um, and there's actually even a hint in or beautiful. what is said. I mean, tragic. Like I, I said. I, I, yeah, tragic, but like life coming at death at the exact same time, you know? Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Still tragic. And the child perhaps will be, um, at least re will receive, as we'll see in a moment, the legacy of being the, the child, the offspring of a nakrapunti. Hanakrapunt. Mm. Mm -hmm. Nakrapunt. <laughs> We've yeah. got to keep our grammar tight here, Andrew. Uh, yes. I actually do think there's a hint in that the Eldil actually knows what's going to happen because he says, I have a message for Hilary, said the Eldil, but you will not be able to take it. Something's going to happen. I go to her now myself. All that is well. Only let the man go to Oyasa. Hmm. Yeah. We're well, learning really quickly. I mean, you won't be able to take it. That's because he's about to be killed. Huh. I'm going to hold this comment because just remember this point that this LDO is very intelligent and seems to have foresight, knowledge, wisdom, all this stuff. And then I will sure. circle back to this in a future section. Sure. Well, and the tone has changed and the tone is about to change quite drastically. And as we've seen, especially from the first chapter, Lewis is being pretty deliberate about his vocabulary and the tone. So, in the section that we have laughingly called sushi, which now makes me hungry, it's about <laughs> dinner time, supper time here, um, Huynh tells uh, Ransom that the Eldil has gone. What is the, how does the boat react to this message from the angel? Well, the Harosa are sad, and they say, all right, we've got to abandon the hunt, we've got to go to the shore, and we've got to give Ransom directions to Meldalon. So their response is one of obedience. Ransom is a little different. He's relieved, on the one hand, that he's not going to have to go on this uh, deadly hunt. But there's something else in him that prompts him to say that, no, 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 we should kill the Hanakra first. And interestingly, this other part of him, we're told, is something like conscience. Uh, Ransom was not hmm. so sure of his courage, but that one part of him felt an instant relief at the idea of any diversion from their present business. But the other part of him urged him to hold on to his newfound manhood. Now or never, with such companions <laughs> or with none, he must leave a deed on his memory instead of one more broken dream. It was in obedience to something like conscience that he exclaimed, and then he goes and says, no, 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 let's keep at it. Well, and there's, I think, a real strong theme about obedience. You know, Matt, uh, you commented on it in the notes. And, you know, I'm, I'm always wondering, um, how does this apply to us? And so here's Ransom kind of taken out of his element, put into a new culture. And instead of rejecting it and being sullen, he, welcome, he's, he welcomes the opportunities. He learns language. He invests in culture. He humbles himself. And uh, rather than feeling superior, it's the opposite of, of Weston and Divine. And I wonder what the opposite to obedience is. And if you say disobedience, you'll be you'll be buzzed. <laughs> but what is the opposite spiritually? What is the what are the opposite qualities of of the virtue of obedience? Obedience is a surrender. 
to a, an authority, a trusting of an authority. So I would say it's like trending to our own authority now. Like it's a selfishness yeah. to some degree. I don't know the right word. I don't yeah. like selfishness as the opposite, but. Um, Pride, I would say. It, yeah, an assertion of self. It's yeah. kind of spiritually sticking your fingers in your ears and saying, I want the voices of my own making my will, rather than the other thy voices. Will. Not my will, but thine be done. Yes. So it goes back to Lewis's second best book. <laughs> and with that in mind, it's the kind of obedience or the willingness to surrender to another voice, to another possibility outside of one's own that Orwell never has. Mm, I'm already out of alcohol. We're limiting it to and one. And that's the so. thing that she, um, and and when she finally reconciles herself to the voice of the God of love, you know, it's when things start to open up for her. Sorry, I realized that we'd gone, you know, 30, 40 minutes in without a, a proper, you know, reference. You know, I was suddenly getting I, really excited that we might actually make it the entire way through without it until <laughs> we have faces reference. I was going to have a party and everything. <laughs> yeah, well, continue to have the party. Um, but, uh, the, and and I didn't even have to try that hard. They were everywhere. So, Yoy also says they should be obedient, but then they see the Nakra. And what happens? Well, all of that obedience thing is suddenly thrown out of the window. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you say you're not going to do something and you suddenly see the thing that you want that you said you weren't going to do? Uh, that's basically the Hanakra for these guys. They immediately go after it. And I have the visions of Legolas from Lord of the Rings. Uh, Hoy is on top of the creature's head, throwing spears down into its mouth, mm -hmm. and Ransom mm -hmm. is throwing his from you know position of being waist deep in water. Uh, but through their combined efforts, the creature is slain. And even the description of it, it it's rather reminiscent of uh, Peter fighting Morgrim. It, it's very confused and erratic, and um, and suddenly it's all over, and they find that the creature is dead at their feet. Mm hmm. Well, and the creature himself is getting in the way. And so maybe that is the enemy. Um, although I'm not sure how much um, how much uh, influence the bent one has on this planet. Um, but it's not like they can just, you know, it's not like they're refusing the elder. I don't know. I'm a little ambivalent about this. But he's grown up, right? And, and they kill him. Um, they were now all now, and so, said Yoi, we are Nakrapunti. This is what I have wanted all my life, right? And so there's this there's this, uh, this wonderful moment. I would love to see this portrayed in a movie. Mm -hmm. And just as they're exulting and, you know, kind of resolved and they know how things are going, a shot rings out. Dun, da, da, da. It's the description in the text of this sound. We're told it's a familiar sound, but at the same time, the last thing that Ransom expected to hear it was terrestrial, mm. human, and civilized sound. It was even European. And what we discover is that it's the crack of an English rifle and that Hoy has been shot. Mm. Mm. And as I mentioned before, a listener of the show, Murphy Thelen, he has produced a version of Out of the Sun Planet starring his children and their friends. And in that production, I was the voice of Hoy. And I have to say, I gave an Oscar-worthy death scene. Oscar the Grouch, maybe. <laughs> David, how have I not seen this yet? Yeah. I have shared it on Slack before, and I've shared it in the show notes. Okay. I want Good. it in our Pints with Jack tax. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, I'm pretty do. sure I actually have shared it there as well, but I will send it again. 
Yeah. I won't argue because there's a good chance I you did and I missed it. Mm-hmm. So um, Ransom is just beside himself and he sees one of his, the fact that the sound itself is familiar is a shame to him. And, um, and he confesses to, you know, the sins of his own race. And how does Hyoi respond? Uh, how, how do they, how do they exchange at the last moment of Hyoi's life? Some love. Mm. It's beautiful. It, as Ransom is trying to get the words out to explain what's happened, and he says that he doesn't know the words for forgive, shame, sorry, and fault. And Hoy's response is just beautiful. Chman Hnakrapunt. And I actually had an email from mm. a listener, Brian Shepard. He sent me an email earlier this week suggesting that this could be an equivalent of a knighthood. Uh, for Ransom. Mm. So we've mentioned the Arthurian themes and yeah. there's some very strong echoes here also from Fantasties when um, when Anados is fighting giants, I think it were, with two brothers. Um, but when Hoy says, man, Hanakrapunt, he's giving him a knighthood. He's conveying this honor on him before he now sets yeah. off on the next part of his quest. Yeah. Like um, like uh, Lord uh, Sir Peter Wolfsbane. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, good catch, Brian Shepard. So wait, does he, <laughs> just, just to clarify, is he, is he all doing it also to Ransom? Like, like you're saying bestowing that on Ransom, or is it just Hiyoi saying I've achieved this, or is it, does it feel like it's kind of being passed on to Ransom, the Hanakra book? Oh, no, I think, he, I think he's recognizing Ransom's role in what's just happened. As as Ransom is spilling over words, trying to explain what's happened and that that this is terrible, he just chooses to name Ransom. You are the the Hanakra killing man. You know this this is your great achievement. Mm-hmm. That this is something glorious. Because remember last episode we had this conversation about death like and how that. the Crosser regards death. This is this is a way in just a couple of words cutting through all of that and just bestowing this honor on his friend. Isn't it also beautiful that Hioi had mentioned right before this that he had reached the pinnacle of what he was wanted to achieve in his life and then dies? Mm-hmm. Like how beautiful that was too. If it goes to everything we've talked about of the relationship with death. They just trust when their time is done, it's part of a bigger plan. If their time mm. and, and, and this is kind of showing that. I mean, he achieved what his role was. There was Clearly, his time on this earth was to impact ransom. I don't know everything before that, but this became a Hanakrapunt and then done. Beautiful mm. end to a book. Well, and it's also, I think, a very male way to exchange forgiveness, right? Mm. He says, I forgive you because you have accomplished this thing that the men of my race have sought after. You know, and he says, You are equal to it's yeah, I think knighthood is a great is a great metaphor. You know, and it's, uh, yeah, I think that that's a, a really kind of loving gesture. What would be the female way? Uh, that should be a good listener question. <laughs> yes, I think that's an excellent, <laughs> excellent listener question. Matt, this is how you know Andrew's been married for a while. That was the perfect uh-huh. answer. <laughs> I was trying to trap him. I was really trying to trap him. It didn't work. Yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. I was yeah. like, Jesus, so, you flipped it back on me when you tried to chat. Well, how might, if men, if men kind of, you know, say, hey, you got a 28 point buck, you know, you, 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 you've succeeded in this thing that we've all been striving for. You're a Super Bowl champion. What might a dying, um, honoring, forgiving 
message be? So we can throw that out as a listener question. What might it for in in female terms? I think um, they would be, and it just, may be the very same. You know, I'm not suggesting that it's all that different. Well, I think they would just be direct and like loving the person with the right words. You're a wonderful, beautiful <laughs> human being. I forgive you completely. Where a man won't actually <laughs> say those words. <laughs> so, so let's, yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll 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 consider the opinion of somebody besides the one who's the least married. <laughs> I think I'm right. But I would I would love for that, you know, maybe that's a topic, you know, I'm sure that uh, that that Brittany White and some others could could toss in and what might be a great conciliatory, you know, last words. And it may be worth, you know, just a just a random thought that occurs. It may be worth considering if we get to choose our last words. What might our last words be if we got to speak to those that we love? I so. think my favorite is probably Oscar Wilde. It was something like, those drapes are revolting. Either they go or I do. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we yeah. just somehow brought this back to last words which is sort of goes back to my wedding story earlier this beginning of this yeah. conversation yeah i'm a little bit curious your guys thoughts they mention as he is killed that they they use the word of punishment sort of maybe they didn't actually use the word punishment but that they disobeyed and so because of that disobedience this occurred that might be the better way help me understand did you guys see it like i didn't even see a chance for them to be disobedient they're, they've all agreed, other than Ransom, that we got to turn in. And then this beast starts charging him. What were they supposed to do? Could they have veered their ships off? I mean, that doesn't seem like a possibility. The Hanakra didn't charge them. They provoked it. They could have still oh. gone gone to shore. Oh. If, if Ransom hadn't objected, they'd have got there quicker. And if once they had seen it, if uh, Hoy and Huynh had nevertheless taken their boat to shore, deposited Ransom and sent him on his way this scene would have worked out very differently. Okay, so then mm. my follow-up question. What do you guys make of that theologically? Of God has a, a path for us, and we're doing the best we can to attempt to obey, but there are actions we can take that can lead to, this actually goes back to the severe mercy, um, where sometimes our stubbornness can can end up leading to an outcome that is more painful due to our lack of perfect obedience but it can sometimes come across as is a punishing god which that's not the case but like i'm just kind of curious you guys thoughts on that i mean hmm. well i wonder if yoi would have um would have died if they had uh, you know obeyed immediately mm. yeah and this this does kind of open up the endless debate about predestination free will etc but all i'll say is that in the text their actions result in this death. They could have chosen differently and the outcome would have been different. Mm -hmm. However, even this outcome is good in a sense. It, it certainly changes Ransom and Hoy gets to fulfill his life dream. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're going to ask what would have happened otherwise, Aslan starts to growl at you. Yes, starts to growl. We're not to, we're not to know. David, I think you just nailed it on the head. In a non-fallen world, which this is either that or close to or closer to us, you have such a beautiful appreciation and surrender to all outcomes. We're looking at it as this was sort of a suboptimal outcome because death to us is suboptimal sort of or it's painful. 
they I don't get the sense they're really looking at this as suboptimal. It just kind of objectively says because of the disobedience here, this happened. But they don't really make it sound like this happening was this great devastating tragedy per se. I mean, it's a beautiful death. It's a, a fulfillment of life. And um, yeah, so I wonder if we were to be of that type of orientation with creation, with the world, with God's will, while yes, our actions do lead to different outcomes, th that doesn't necessarily mean they're just terrible outcomes, even if we interpret them that way. So there's this theological idea of Felix culpa, right? Of, of happy blame, happy mm -hmm. guilt. Um, the greatest glory in all the world is the incarnation, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord. And that wouldn't have been achieved had it not been for the sin of fallen man. Would the world have been better without the death and burial and resurrection of Christ? Only if the, our, our ancient ancestors had chosen the tree of life instead of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But because they chose wrongly, even then, as Diana Glyer says in her marvelous book, uh, her devotional clay in the potter's hands, God is not daunted, and God can make something glorious even out of our terrible decisions. You see this in the silver chair. They miss all four of the signs. <laughs> they miss the three first ones for sure, and they really get razor thin close to missing the last of the signs um, and somehow kind of muddle their way through. But God is still able to redeem even our disobedience as long as in falling we cry out to him. There's this um, in very interesting um, U2 song called Until the End of the World. It's from the Octung Baby album. And it's based on a poem by an Irishman who wonders if maybe while sinking into the water and about to die, uh, Judas doesn't repent, right? And, and then God uses his own disobedience to great eternal glory. Now, did God want Judas to betray Christ? Of course not. That's ridiculous. And was Ju Judas doing a good deed by betraying our Lord? No. But can God make good out of anything? And I think that the cross stands as a, as a living and eternal testament to the fact that God will make the best of our mistakes. And I think we see here an example of the same thing. And I'll just add one other thing. We read in the previous chapter it is not a few deaths roving the world around him that make a hanau miserable. It is a bent hanau that would blacken the world. There are worse things than death. Mm -hmm. Almost yeah. perverted life. <laughs> mm, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. just while we're talking about death, one thing I do want to point out, as Hoy dies, the description of his body is in very similar terms to Lewis's own mother's body after she had died. Mm. So in Out of the mm -hmm. Silent Planet, we read, Hoy's face became as alien and as animal as it had seemed at their first meeting. Mm -hmm. The glazed eyes and the slowly stiffening bedraggled fur were like those of any dead beast found in an earthly wood. Mm -hmm. And in Surprise by Joy, we read, I was taken into the bedroom where my mother lay dead, as they said, to see her. In reality, as I knew at once, to see it. There was nothing that a grown-up could call disfigurement except for that total disfigurement, which is death itself. Grief was overwhelmed in terror. To this day, I do not know what they mean when they call dead bodies beautiful. The ugliest man alive is an angel of beauty compared with the loveliest of the dead. Wow. Yeah. David, that's a great get. And this idea of it, um, you see it if you're careful, if you read carefully in Lewis, that until... 
uh, a, a beast or any kind of living thing takes on personality and gender. Um, um, it Lewis calls it it. So the beaver, Mr. Beaver is called it until they understand that it's a person and a male person, right? Lewis doesn't even assign a gendered pronoun until the gender is established. And it's not about gender, but it's about nowness, right? Um, and taking on the kind of human qualities and and once you've lost those, it becomes it. It sinks back. It's kind of like the lapsed bear of Stormness Head. I'm sure that Matt was about to say that, but I'm start, sorry to steal your thunder. <laughs> you know, the bear who loses his sentience. And remember, like until we have faces, at the end of the last battle, the animals oh. um, who look at Aslan with hatred and fear lose their sentience, lose their beingness, and become only its, their animals. Right, but those who look at Aslan with love, um, you know, retain their being, and I think that that's the same is true with us. And I think that that's what makes Orwal into a person. Right at the at the very end, she has a face, and that face is the love of God, um, because she looks at God with love, and and is received, I think, in the arms of mercy. Hyoi too is received with arms of mercy. Um, Ransom shall be, but he's got a longer journey to face. And so perhaps we should end there as we send him off to uh, to Augre and Meldalorn. Um and uh he's of course distraught. He wants uh he wants them to kill all of the humans so that they won't do any more damage. But God's way is much more uh, difficult and redemptive. He wants redemption to come. Um, by means of the humans. And we'll see that um, in the next book, uh, as well as the end of this one. And I really think we've already got our question of the week. We've said <laughs> that Hoy's response, his affirmation of ransom uh, in, with his final words, with his final breath, were particularly masculine. Uh, at, the very least, at the very least, I would say they resonated within all of us. What would be the female version of that? Would it be mm. any different at all? Yes, how might uh, a female blessing, um, the female parting blessing, um, be the same as or differ from the one that we see from Yoy? And feel free to email us, contact at pintsforjack.com, use the contact form on the website, or leave a comment on social media. Yeah. Well, with that, I hear the call for final drinks. So thanks to all of our listeners, to our Patreon supporters, and particularly to our top-tier supporters, including Matt and Jake, James and Erica, Marvin and Joel, Deborah 1, Deborah 2, there's space for a Deborah 3 amongst there, if that's your name, <laughs> Amanda, Thomas, and Bill, Bud and Shane, Kay and Paul, Kimberly and Gillis, Gary and Stephen, Matt and Kelly, Chris and James and Kate and Peter and David and Angela and Rowdy. Well, we pray for our listeners all the time, especially uh, them and all their prayer requests in the Slack channel. We pray for them every, every Tuesday. And if you've enjoyed uh, this episode, please take a fishing trip. <laughs> Give thanks to our audio engineer, uh, Taylor Schrall. Enjoy some sushi. And please also join us next time. And we'll continue going further up. And further in. Sante. 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 Cheers. <laughs>